This is Coda Radio, episode 83 for January 6th, 2014. You're listening to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode's brought to you by our three fine sponsors, GoDaddy, Ting, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Mmm, stakeholders. Mmm, <laughs> tastes like steak. Only, mm. only maybe a hollow steak. Do you know you can get at the Lancaster PA Ren Fair steak on a steak? Wait, what? Now, oh, so they're calling the stick a steak. Right. Yeah, okay. That's clever, actually. I would like to modify that for Jupiter Broadcasting. Have stakeholder on a steak. <laughs> yeah, well, the stakes are high, as they might be. Right. Mm. Oh, hey, guess what? Episode 83 of the Coda Radio Program, first episode of 2014, and we got a good one. Uh, we're going to have a special guest join us. Uh, Mark is uh, works at Oracle as a software engineer, and he'll be coming on uh, after we get through the feedback to talk about all kinds of things, like important things like mascots. Uh, but Mr. Dominic, before we go on, I just wanted to let you know, just to keep the continuity alive, even though it's a new year. I am right now enjoying a freshly brewed cup of AeroPress coffee, and it's fantastic. All right, so I seem to, even even at good old Fingertip Tech, I'm one of the the non-AeroPressers. Explain to me, what's the deal? Well, here's, I'll tell you, you were right. On the pre-show, you said it looks like a science kit experiment for like an eighth grader, and I totally agree with you. Uh, because it's like a beaker and all that kind of stuff, and it's got a lot of little parts. Uh, you got your you got your filters, you got your filter holder, you got your filter cap, you got your uh, funnel, your stir stick, and your plunger, of course. Um, and so it sounds like a super French press. Is that basically what it is? Yeah, it's actually really crazy easy to do. All you all you have to do is grind your uh, grind your beans. You put them in the top of the beaker there. You pour in the hot water and let it stew. And then after it stews for a minute or two, you just you flip it over on top of your cup and you just push it down. Interesting. I mean, it's really easy. And uh, you have to get some hot water. Like Zane, you know, Zane in the chat room here. Yes. He's got he's got a whole recipe up on his website. He measured out he measures out his beans. He measures out his water, uh, like weight and everything. Uh, I don't go that far. I don't really bother. I would say this. So if you're willing to grind and then pour it into a thing and then plunge and all that kind of stuff, it's it's about a three-minute process, if depending on how fast your thing heats up. That's but not terrible. It's not terrible, but you have to be there for all of it. Right. That could be – see, like a lot of folks, I think a lot of folks like the whole, I, you know, maybe I grind my beans, maybe I don't. I add my water, I hit the button, I walk away for five minutes, and I come back and my coffee's ready. For me, I don't drink coffee that often, although I was thinking about, you know, transitioning away from it. So I, I keep – Slipping into sugary energy drinks, I'm trying to move back to more healthy. You're better things. off with just black coffee. Yeah. So I. So and the thing about the AeroPress, the one thing that might make it worth it, it is really a good cup of coffee. I mean, I've never been that person to say that, but it actually is really impressive. It's, it's really good. I guess I'm just still happy with my plain old glass French press. Well, there you go. If you're happy. Having said that, though, I broke my coffee grinder this weekend. Uh oh. I I'm sorry. Last week, and I promptly ordered another one that came this weekend. <clears throat> How's that going? 
This one's a step up. So my other one was just an old one where you hold it down and grind the coffee. Uh, I've now got the Hamilton Beach 8365. feel really weird that my coffee grinder has a model number. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it has dials. It does it hands-free. It's it's awesome. I thought about – see, I went for the press-down grinder because I just didn't want anything complicated. But right. you don't really get any fine controls over the press-down grinder. It's just That's the problem. Yeah, you just got to do it by however long you hold it down. Uh, well, all right. So there's your coffee update. Yes. Hopefully people don't mind who are not coffee drinkers. I used to be one of those, so I understand if you don't. Yeah. Well, we, until we start talking about BMWs, we're pretty much good. Yeah, right. Um, all right. Well, why don't we get to an email? We got a good one from Paul or Pavel. Uh, your, your choice. You get to pick. Uh, he writes into the show. He says, uh, hi, Mike and Chris. As suggested by Michael, I tried out some new languages. I chose Node.js with an app idea that will take advantage of the event model and gives me an opportunity to play with WebSockets. I also tried some of the new uh, NoSQL uh, no hotness, but I uh, didn't like it. Main reason was lack of features. So I'll stick with Postgres. <laughs> he's going to stick with Postgres right now. Uh, he's, here's a quick description of the app. Uh, he says uh, he sent us the readme file. It's a BSD license. It's a currently hosted working copy of it on mll.gitscuit.com. Should work on mobile. He wants to thank us for uh, DigitalOcean and the GoDaddy promo codes. Use both of those to get this project rolling. So here's his question. He says, what is your opinion? Is it better in terms of career growth to diversify in languages and libraries or in some area of expertise that is not directly related to programming? For example, I develop map stuff for a living or GIS, geo-informational systems, mostly for enterprise. <clears throat> to do mapping projects, I learned technologies like Map Server, PostGIS, Open Layers, etc. Uh, that took me more than more than time than, than it took to learn Python, for example. Uh, he says I uh, I now have an extensive knowledge about the mapping area, like projections, data formats, protocols, and best practices and standards. All the best, Pavel. So what he's kind of asking here is: uh, Is it better to learn and diversify languages and libraries, or become an expertise? and then apply that to an application. So he became an expertise in some geolocation stuff. Right. You know, I, I think it's important to, how can I say this, step away from the computer sometimes. Uh, go read a book, go play some golf, some pool, make some, you know, picky coffee. <laughs> but in reality, I mean, learn all the languages you want, play with all the toys you want, but you have to understand that just don't, I mean, this, I think Pavel has done a good job, right? He tried the new hotness. Mm -hmm. He saw some shortcomings where it wasn't appropriate for what he's actually trying to do. Right. And he put it down. Yeah. Which I think is actually, Pavel's the ideal here, right? Yeah. And it uh, doesn't mean maybe don't ever revisit it. No, I mean, I, I, I always play with the new hotness, but I often don't use it. I think the, the newest hotness that I've kind of jumped on is Docker. And that's, that's, even then, I don't use it for everything. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I would say, Pavel, I think you're actually in pretty good shape. Nice. I like what you're doing. I approve of this message. <laughs> All right. Well, should we see if I can get you in a little trouble with the audience real quick uh, before we go too far? Because uh, I'd hate not to give you an opportunity to put your foot in your mouth over Objective-C. So oh, please. Cole writes in and he says, hey, guys, I was listening to an episode or two back and some, and you read some feedback from a listener talking about C over C++. Michael explained why Objective-C is a pure object orientation paradigm, uh, more so than C++. He mentioned that you could use GNU Step to compile console programs in Linux, Windows, etc. To which Chris exclaimed, yeah, but no one does that! Which is funny and a little sad. Uh, I use GNU Step a lot. 
as a bolt-on dev environment to my Windows and Linux boxes, and I wanted to point out, mainly for other listeners' benefit, that you are not limited to the foundation framework in GNU Step. Foundation provides basic types like strings, arrays, etc., and you can also use AppKit to build GUI elements for your apps. If you enable the Windows theme mode, then Windows look native mode, uh, you essentially get what he's talking about. There is also a live CD for more of the Tinker types that sports a Linux kernel under the hood and that supercharged with the GNU Step framework. There are ports of for Intel and PowerPC and Spark architectures, and he provides a link. Uh, thanks for the great show, guys. So, um, you had a lot of, like, sort of ancillary feedback around Objective-C. I, this is the only one I saw wait, about wait, the GNU... Wait, 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 feedback? Are we going to call that feedback? <laughs> are you sure you don't mean bile? uh flames i guess yeah flames yeah, yeah that might be fair uh however i always whenever i bring up gnu step on air there's usually one email i get uh this essentially goes along these lines that does reiterate to me how gnu step is still viable if you do xyz um i mean i guess <laughs> i i guess what i don't know is it could be one of these things where when people are using it correctly i don't even know they're using it right and when people don't use it correctly it's so obvious yeah, so the GUI stuff, uh, like I'm looking at the screenshots of this live CD, it, it's very next, right? It's very, it, it, it's old. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he has a point that you could write stuff in GNU Step. In fact, especially if you're doing like scripting or you're doing you know console-only applications, you could write it in GNU Step and your users would never know. Okay. I mean, maybe the Windows support is has come a long way. I, that I don't know because I'm not super interested in Windows. Mm. But having said that, I don't know, man. I, I want to agree with Cole, but I, I just can't. Like, I, I, I just don't see it being used that much. Yeah, that's where I'm at, too. Like, if they updated the UI kit to... I don't know. I, I hope. I mean, Cole, write in again if you can like show me a modern GUI application for Linux, Mac, or Windows. I mean, Mac is probably not fair, but Linux or Windows written in GNU Step, awesome. Um, I just can't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I could just be wrong. I mean, I could just be you know. I thought totally wrong. I thought maybe I I could kind of throw something random at your face uh, real quick. Um, and uh, it's it's a bit of an it's a bit of an off topic, but it's uh, something that was brought up by Paul Thorat. Um, and it, he said it's the biggest problem facing Windows in, in 2014. Uh, I don't know if you caught that, but it's, I mean, it's kind of, it's, for me, it was kind of shocking coming from Paul Thorat. And I want to talk about that here in just a sec. But first, I want to thank our first sponsor this week. And that, my friends, is Ting.com. Ting is mobile that makes sense. Go to coderadio.ting.com to get started. Here's what you, here's what you should take away from this. Ting is redoing the way mobile is going to work for us. Now, it's early days now. Ting's one of the first. But what they're doing is going to apply market pressures to all the other carriers. And as you watch over 2014, mark my words, different elements of the Ting-like service will make their way into these carriers. But none of them will be the genuine Ting. Ting is built around the customer. No contracts, no early termination fees, and you only pay for what you use. Every phone line you have on Ting is a flat $6 a month. And if you don't use that phone, that's all you pay. All your lines can share a pooled set of minutes. So that's great for a team, 
for a family, for uh, a business. All of you guys can share from one set of pooled minutes. You only pay for what you use. Your plans include hotspot and tethering as part of your plan. Then you just pay for the data usage. They have an amazing online dashboard that lets you manage your phone and take care of many things you might want, like call forwarding, uh, what what to do when you don't answer the phone, what to do when you hit fo- what phone to forward to if you hit the forward button. All that stuff that you normally have to know the special codes and all of that can be set through the Ting dashboard or through the Ting app. And you got to go over to coderadio.ting.com and try out their savings calculator. This is something they a tool they've built where you can plug in your existing cell information, like not like bill information, but just like how much you pay, how many texts you send, stuff like that. And they'll they'll send you out a calculation of your monthly savings. It's the beginning of the year, so it's never never been a better time to start saving right now so you can have the maximum savings. And to help you get out of your existing plan, Ting offers an early termination relief program. You can find it at ting.com slash ETF. And what they'll do is they'll pay up to $75 per line that you have to cancel. They also have a very active blog and an extremely active community. In fact, the Nexus 5 made it over to the Ting network because of their awesome community and Ting embracing that community. It was really awesome to watch that happen in real time. They've got tons of great devices running Android, Windows Phone. They even have feature phones that start as low as $63 when you apply our coderadio.ting.com discount. $63 for this feature phone that makes calls, lasts, Probably forever, since it's not that, you know, I mean, these old phones lasted forever. And it's yours. You own it. $63 straight up. And you only pay for $6 per month for the line and what you use on top of that. Ting takes your messages, your megabytes, and your minutes, and they add those up. And wherever you're at, that's what you pay. It's so great. I've been using Ting for a year now. And I'm absolutely thrilled. I love the HTC One and I love the Nexus 5. And what's great about the Nexus 5 is you buy it directly from Google Play. You just go get the SIM Ting which they have uh, the uh, the Ting Sim, which they have right here on their store, and then you grab it, you're good to go. Another thing you might want to consider is this Novatel MiFi. Ting has a Novatel MiFi that supports Edge, 3G, 4G, and LTE. So if you got any of that in your area, for $130 after you use coderadio.ting.com, $130, you buy this device once, you own it outright, and then it's just six dollars, six dollars. Then whatever you use. So if this if this MiFi sits in your drawer for half the month because you didn't go anywhere, you're not paying into some sixty seven dollar seventy dollar a month contract. You're only paying for what you use. And this is a great way to have mobile data on the go, so that way you can stay productive. And by the way, it also supports tri band LTE. So if you're one of the tri band LTE markets, you're going to get really great signal and performance. This is another great way to go. Ting often, I think a lot of people just use Ting as a mobile ISP because they have great devices like this for fantastic prices. So go to coderadio.ting.com to get started. And a huge thank to Ting for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. <clears throat> Mr. Dominic, just really quickly, uh, I know we got to get to our guest, uh, but I just wanted to ask if you saw this article on Windows IT Pro from Paul Therott where he said the, fi- the biggest problem facing Windows in 2014 is the fact that developers just don't care about Windows. Like, mm. there's really no interest out there for the next breakthrough innovative application to land on Windows. And if you look back over the last couple of years, uh, there really hasn't been some big, huge, amazing new application released for Windows. All the excitements around mobile, um, yeah, I would, I, would, I would even argue the Mac is, is getting more attention than, uh, by third-party developers and having more innovative applications. Really, Windows has kind of been in this weird, awkward transition phase now. And Therat says part of the problem is, is Microsoft is starting to make this transition at a time when uh, developers really just can't get it up. What do you think? Yeah, um, I guess it's telling. I don't really care a whole ton about Windows right now. And I feel kind of awful saying that. 
because it's you know a super large percentage of the mar- market. Mm-hmm. But it's just not that um, compelling to you. Yeah. yeah, it's really not. Yeah, I, I would I would like to actually get somebody to please write in in defense of Windows because um, I think that's probably an area that we don't give enough time to. And yes. if anybody out there you know thinks otherwise, you know disagrees with what Thorat said or Dominic said. Email in coderadiotruperbroadcasting.com or pop that contact link. That's a piece of feedback I'd love to read. Speaking of feedback, Brian writes in, In 2014, to Mac or not to Mac? Ooh, wow, that makes it sound really kind of uh, uh, epic. Hey, guys, wondering uh, what your opinion is on my situation. I'm a developer who uses a Mac at work and Ubuntu laptop at home, an XPS 13 dev edition. I'm considering getting a more powerful laptop to do more heavy lifting for development. My project working needs are 8 gigabytes of RAM to run in dev mode and 300 gigabytes on production. Wow. Uh, I'm considering getting a new MacBook Pro, a good Lenovo, or a System76 machine. I have a hard time trying to decide if I can go Mac. I enjoy using it at work, and I've had no issues. I also have the I also have had no issues with my XPS 13 laptop. However, going forward, I'd like to use a platform. I'd like to use one platform to be able to do development and everything else. Ubuntu and other distros seem to be, uh, again, uh, seem to be again ground, but I feel there is always a wall hit, and we're not going to see a wide application adoption. Any thoughts? Is Apple the platform solid moving forward? So Brian's asking, you know, hey, I got a, I got, I got my hard-earned monies here, and uh, right. should I buy a Mac? Um, I, I here's the way I look at it. I think first of all, I think you're lying to yourself if you don't admit that the MacBooks are some of the most well-built laptops on the market. Yeah. And that goes for that that portability and that battery life, you know, when they're well built and have good battery life. If you're moving between the office and home a lot, that can be a nice feature, especially if it's lighter. So the I, just for my take on it is Macs are great unless you need or want OS diversity. Now, you can run Windows on there. It always sucks. You can run Linux on there. It sucks. Mac OS is really what that laptop is literally built to run. If you're okay with that, then I would say... Give it serious consideration. If you want something that'll run uh, other operating systems, if that's an important enough feature, you know that's for me. That's always the deal breaker. But for a lot of people, it's not. Yeah, I actually think the Mac is a pretty good dev machine, as long as you want to work in the Mac. Mm-hmm. It's not really a general computer, right? Yeah, I know a lot of folks do run Linux and Mac, but I just I don't. I don't think so, right? Yeah, I know. Like, well, I mean, hell, Linus Torvalds does, right? Linus Torvalds has a MacBook Air that he runs Linux on. Um, and, you know, that, if that works for him, that's great. Right. Uh, I, I have not found it to be as successful. I've tried it a few times. Uh, you know, I just, I gave up years ago. Uh, and the other problem is they're usually behind the curve quite a bit. So I guess if you wanted to buy the MacBook and then wait a year or two before you put Linux on it, you'd probably be okay. Um, the one thing you do, the trap you don't want to find yourself in is the trap that I am squarely in the middle of right now, where I have built up production tools because really they are the best in class for, especially at the price point. And I am essentially chained to the Mac. And, uh, when it, and the problem is, is initially when they made, you know, desktop computers, that wasn't really a big concern. And I went to hack, you know, when I thought, and I thought I could do it with Hackintoshes too, but now as 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 they have changed their products, but my requirements have not changed. I am not my requirements are now incompatible with their product offerings. Right? There's there's no product they now sell that has PCI Express slots or that takes additional internal hard drives. Not any product they sell. 
and that right. is no longer compatible with my requirements. And so the problem is, as I am now chained to a company and a hardware manufacturer that no longer builds the computers I need. And so that's a really tough spot to be in. So you got to make sure you don't end up there with some sort of software or something like that. But if you, you know, if you keep, if you if you stay abreast of what else is out there, maybe try out different workflows. You can always run Ubuntu in VMware. It runs really good on the Mac in VMware. You know, all those things will help. They'll all help. But just be oh, be cognizant of that. I would say. Uh, all right, Mr. Dominic. Any other thoughts? Are you are you ready for uh, Jeremy's question, which is a Java Play question? Let's do Java Play, baby. All right, here we go. Uh, our last uh, bit of feedback for the week. It comes in from Jeremy. And he says, Mike, I'm about to start a web app project, and I've been thinking about using Java Play since you've talked it up so much lately. I'm a noob ICE programmer with a little bit of knowledge in C, C++, C Sharp, and Objective-C. Yes! That's right. There we go. Bonus points. Give him another. It's negative in oh. the freedom. Oh, how did that guy dimension. get in here? Oh. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. here. I'll, I'll, you know what? Get it out of that's here. That's right. That's right. And I'll wash it all out with a little. Computer, what happened? There we go. Uh, he says, uh, I really have no qualms learning a new language if I have to. I was wondering about hosting options with Java Play. Are there any options available that won't break the bank for a poor beginner? I have a little experience with web development, so would you suggest Java Play to a noob, or what would you suggest? Second question, can you use DigitalOcean as a web server? I ask because I have no idea when it comes to cloud stuff. Thanks, Jeremy. Yes, to his, to his second question, yes. Uh, they have droplets that are just ready to deploy that run the LAMP stack. But if you don't know what you're doing, you might want to go a different route, something that gives you maybe like a... Like a maybe a more like the GoDaddy route where you have like a, a, yeah, a like a front end management aspect to that because, um, yeah, I mean not to get into okay. DigitalOcean ad, but they have awesome droplets that will just deploy a LAMP stack for you. So uh, his question here about uh, would you recommend Java Play to a noob? Uh, how do you want to tackle that? Uh, I would recommend Java Play to a trained chimpanzee. So yes, yes, I would. There you go. That's easy, right? Okay, well, uh, before we get to our guest, why don't I mention DigitalOcean right now? Uh, DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting, and it's the service that Mike and I just absolutely love. Uh, I, I got to tell you, if you haven't heard of DigitalOcean, go check them out over DigitalOcean.com. They're dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server, and that is no joke. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds, so it takes you less time to spin up a cloud server than it takes me to make an AeroPress cup of coffee. And, right. Oh, and pricing plans start at only five dollars per month for five twelve megabytes of RAM, twenty gigabyte SSD, a CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. DigitalOcean has data centers in New York, San Francisco, and Amsterdam. The interface is simple, intuitive, and of course, they have a straightforward API you can use. They also offer a vast collection of tutorials in their community section, and users can submit articles and get paid up to fifty dollars per published piece. I was just uh, I just featured a published piece about setting up a Beowulf cluster using DigitalOcean on. Uh, Linux Unplugged last week. So mm, guess my what? My favorite Anglo-Saxon cluster. <laughs> uh, so here's, guess what? We got a deal for you, and this is a hipster deal. You got to get it on this right now because uh, I think next week, the people who didn't listen to this episode, they're going to get a new promo code. It's January, but we still have the promo code Code Radio December. If you act quick, you can probably get, you can use that in, in January. You can like, it's like you're going to get the same deal. You're going to get the same discount. They're going to give you a $10 credit. 
But you get to use the December code in January, man. That's awesome, man. You're fighting the system. So use the promo code Coder Radio December when you check out. You'll get that $10 credit. And if you're like me using the $5 rig, you're going to get two months of DigitalOcean service. And you will be amazed. And like we were just telling Jeremy, they have an awesome droplet system that allows you to deploy Arch systems, Fedora systems, Ubuntu systems, etc., etc. And then they also have pre-setup systems where you can deploy an Ubuntu system 1204 with the entire LAMP stack ready to rock, with Docker, ready to rock. There's a lot of really easy setup and go. And the other great thing is you can make your own images. And once you have a setup with your dev- with your environment on there, with your app, whatever it is you're working on, all the base requirements that you might need to have installed, you snapshot that thing, and you can redeploy it as many times as you need for testing. And their control panel is so simple and straightforward. Do not worry. As soon as you see that, you'll know exactly what to do. It's brilliant. Um, in fact, I've not tried it, but I bet it would even work like from an iPad. They're... Uh, I bet with, I'm looking at the UI. I bet that would actually pretty work, work even good on touch. It does. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> they also have a fantastic developer community, and they provide a rich set of articles that really can help you get up and going with PHP, Rails, Node.js, everything. So go check out DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERADIO DECEMBER when you check out. Uh, Mike and I have been using them. Mike, you've used them for way longer than I have, but I've been using them for a few months. And I feel like this was one of the little biggest secrets i didn't know about this is so awesome this this setup and the fact that i get root access to my archbox and i can go in there and set up whatever i want and those ssds you can that you can actually tell a difference with those it's it's the coolest service ever and i can only imagine like this is one of those things where if you could time travel back in time and tell a younger you that there would be a cloud service where you could just go spin up a server and have full control over in 55 seconds and it had this amazing ui you wouldn't believe yourself like no nobody could ever do that but they're using all these cool Linux technologies under the hood, like KVM, to make all of this possible. And it's super awesome. So DigitalOcean.com, promo code CODERADIODECEMBER. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. All right, well, I'm really excited to bring our guests on the show. Uh, Mark, am I saying your right name, last name right if I say Heckler? Yes, that's it. And you are a software engineer at Oracle, right? Yes. Well, sir, welcome to the show. It is, it's awesome to have you here. Now, you, you heard we just had a Java Play question, so I bet some Java stuff will come up. But can we start? Maybe you can tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, sure. Actually, I, uh, I'm a software engineer at Oracle. I work in the field. So I work with Oracle's clientele, uh, primarily large enterprise customers throughout the Midwest. But uh, I've been known to bounce around uh, when, when asked, uh, doing mostly enterprise stuff. But uh, it varies uh, quite a bit. Uh, anything from um, front end to back end to uh, Java in the database. So kind of uh, uh, where the voices in my head uh, tell me to go, that's that's where I go. <laughs> well, now, Mike, uh, so uh, why did we bring Mark on today? What are we, we going to talk to Mark about? Oh, actually, we made a deal with Oracle, don't you remember? <laughs> <laughs> right. We can only say nice things about Java and all right. of their staff and Larry especially. There was a big clause in there about Larry, and so now uh, we're uh, – <laughs> We're contractually obligated. <laughs> Sorry, that's Uncle Larry. Thank you very much. Right. No, uh, Mark was actually, uh, well, we kind of brought Mark on to ambush him because oh, I, a friend of mine has been missing for several years. Um, this is important. Know, he was he was missing in action, taken from the field. Mark, where the hell is Java Duke? <laughs> Duke is alive and well. Um, Duke has been seen uh, in many places with Elvis throughout the country and around the world. Actually, <laughs> he's touring, uh, is he? Uh, you know, and and you know, now that you mention that, I, we 
probably about a year ago, there was a, uh, a new screensaver released, which was kind of exciting because now it was Future Duke. And this past year at Java 1, it was really focusing on the science. So you had Scientist Duke. And I haven't seen any new, uh, new uh, graphical images along those lines yet. Uh, but I, I found out something kind of interesting. Uh, the Duke... Uh, graphics were open sourced back in 06, so anybody can take them and and you know uh, create their own Duke. So oh no, kidding! So yeah, oh, so uh, you text you mascot baby. So this yeah. is this is why you ended up like I'm doing a Google image search right now, and here's Duke with a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that well I guess it. there's quite a bit of latitude. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the important question, of course. So that that's the top question. Um, of course. No, but but who are you? What kind of stuff are you doing? Um, you know, I, I hear you're building robots. <laughs> well, you know, a little bit of, of everything. Uh, the the work stuff is is probably much like you would expect, and therefore I won't spend a lot of time on it because it is more enterprisey. It is more, uh, you know, the back end uh, things. But but uh, some of the things that are they keep bubbling to the top, whether it's uh, you know with clients or whether it's just kind of in the general press, is the whole embedded space. And I know that's not unique to Java, uh, but. Uh, it's it's a very exciting place to be with Java. So I started looking into that kind of on my own independently. Uh, and uh, interestingly, I'm also a renewable energy uh, buff and um, enthusiast. And I, I started throwing some information back and forth with some folks kind of around the world, some folks in Brazil, some uh, a gentleman in uh, Spain and other places. And uh, the, the gentleman in Spain and I kind of were meeting uh, in the middle from both ends. He had a very large uh, renewable energy system, and I had a very small one I was building up. And we started looking at ways to inject uh, Java embedded into that to monitor and control. And we wound up uh, getting together for a, a presentation at Java 1 this past year, which we had a great time doing, hauled a bunch of equipment out there, and just kind of showed the, the full hookup with uh, uh, what we called the self-licking ice cream cone. We have a, a small renewable energy system with uh, solar panels, uh, photovoltaics, and a small wind turbine, and we're using that to power the system that monitored and controlled that system. So it uh, it... it kept readings, it, it allowed you to, to make some modifications to it, and it radioed all the information back in and stored it on a server. So uh, we got the opportunity after Java 1 to, uh, and now we're, it looks like we're going to be pre uh, presenting in uh, Stockholm, Sweden at JFocus. And we're, we've built it out a little bit because we were running straight Java embedded suite on uh, the Raspberry Pi for a server. And now, you know, a lot of people don't realize that uh, Java Enterprise Edition is not a big, heavy, lumbering beast. Yeah, and Mark, you know, <laughs> if, the, if the comments on this show and YouTube have taught me anything, it's definitely that everything you said is a lie. Oh, okay. And, uh, Java is definitely dirt slow. I mean, how, how is this happening? Well, I, I can tell you this. Uh, you know, I, I didn't go into uh, my, my first round of testing on the Raspberry Pi with, with full-blown Java Enterprise Edition with a lot of hopes. Uh, but, uh, interestingly enough, if you go out and download Glassfish, uh, full Java EE is under 100 meg. And Java EE web profile is, or uh, Glassfish 4 web profile, excuse me, is, um, is 55 meg. So when you install that, and it installs very nicely on a Raspberry Pi, uh, you know, you do have some adjustments to make. When you pull up the admin console, it takes a little bit longer than it would on a full-blown server. But you can run that very, very well, very nicely, and uh, have a database behind it, the Java DB, and set up WebSockets and RESTful web interfaces and have it just hum along on a Raspberry Pi like, uh, 
you know, it's just happy as can be. So yeah, it's, you, you discover that there's a lot more power there with a lot less weight than what you realized. And I know that probably just sounded like a commercial and I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. So let me ask you, because a lot of our listeners are actually not Java guys. We have a lot of Python, a lot of um, misguided no children. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, so, you know, when I'm doing my Java play, I'm gen- it's Java SE, right? Standard edition. Can you can you explain what the difference? I know it's a silly question, but in in like a hundred words or less between EE and SE. Uh, let's see. Well, Java EE. I'm trying to think of probably the best way to put it. Java EE has more of your server side interfaces uh, where you can. Uh, Let's see, how do I put this? Enterprise Java Beans, uh, context and dependency injection. It gives you the ability to, 100 words or less, uh, develop server-side interfaces and interface uh, with with databases in a, a managed and controlled way. Right. So there's a lot of ORM functionality, a lot of big, scary enterprise stuff. Yeah, you know, and, and it's not really that scary. That's the thing that's, it's it's so nice because it manages a lot of that for you. And if it comes with a lot of weight, that would be one thing. But anymore, uh, since Java EE 6, they slimmed that down quite a bit. And Java EE 7 uh, continued that slimming to where now it's it's uh, it's pretty performant. So I can second that. I'm actually using Java 7. Uh, I rarely use EE, but for most of what I'm doing, I'm using SE. Mm-hmm. Boy, Java 7's a lot nicer than Java was when I when I first touched Java. Right, it's, it's come quite a long way. Yeah, I had a similar voyage. Actually, I did uh, a lot of work early in Java, and then uh, did some work throughout, uh, but but not as much. Kind of in the the doldrums stage, right, as right. I kind of refer to it. And and you know, again, not to sound too much like a cheerleader, but Sun had a lot of struggles toward the end of Sun's life, and they did right. a lot of very good things, but they were really uh, struggling to do anything at all toward the end. So when Oracle uh, bought Sun, it from again from the outside because I work in the field I don't work at corporate but it seemed like there was some new life being breathed in and it seems like from the community involvement and excitement that seems to be the case hmm. now on your on your um, embedded work are you using Java 7 uh, actually uh, on the uh, on the server side yeah I'm using e7 uh, glassfish okay. 4 uh, on the uh, the, the uh, remote I have a, a small Raspberry Pi o- operating as a central remote node uh, out uh, you know radioing in the uh, the readings and and whatnot uh, that I'm using actually uh, jdk8 well look at you I, you know, I, I'm not really doing anything that's that's uh, you know pushing it at this point. I just uh, figured why not throw it out there with the uh, the early versions and uh, see see what broke, what didn't, and everything's been running pretty pretty smoothly. That's really. awesome. Huh. Well, I I got it. I want to. I don't mean to to be the dunce of the class here, but uh, I I'm not really familiar with the, what's different <laughs> between Java embedded and the standard Java that most of us are familiar with. What what makes Java embedded? the embedded part of it is what's been removed what can't it do well let me i guess let me let me back up one step uh when i first started down this path i was looking straight at embedded uh se embedded and even possibly me uh but and those are i guess what you call true embedded uh, solutions uh really i'm doing more of a seeing how small java can go in its standard edition and enterprise edition forms on embedded platforms, so I guess is that more possible because embedded platforms are coming up too. Is it like are the two things meeting? Like uh, it's a, it's a refinement process of Java itself, and the uh, embedded devices are also becoming becoming a little more capable. So the two are meeting, or is it 
something different. Yeah, I, I really think so. I mean, I mean, there. I think there's, and probably always will be, a a specific market or a need for the the embedded specific solutions. And you're talking beyond um, cell phones and things like that, right? You're talking like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you know, I you've got so capable of devices, like like you said, they're kind of coming up. I mean, you have uh, phones and tablets that are very very powerful in in the 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 spectrum in mm-hmm. the. Uh, along the spectrum. And then you have the Raspberry Pi, which doesn't seem like it would have a lot of power, uh, and it doesn't have a lot of memory, but it has enough capability. And, and of course, the Raspberry Pi Foundation put out the information where you can overclock safely up to a, a certain amount. I think I stepped back one from the top, uh, and it keeps things consistent, doesn't corrupt file systems, everything runs smoothly and quickly. Uh, so, you, so you've got a very capable, tiny piece of hardware for, for 40 bucks that you can put to use running pretty much anything you can throw at so it. So when I think of Java, I think of portability for my applica- for my applications, right? So am I am I going to am I going to live in a world where I could make I could make an application that runs on a desktop, maybe it's like it's not a very advanced application, it could be even a command line application or something, and then I can move that to a Java embedded device? Are we going to have that type of portability? Or is it more like if I know how to write for one type of Java, I can make something run on Java embedded? Well, and and again, it depends on which way you're looking at it. If you're going straight embedded right now, there is a a smaller subset of of capabilities in that. Okay. But but again, they're they're looking at building out. Uh, and again, I say they because I'm not in that development team. Uh, but but it's very well published. It's public information. They're looking at building out different levels or layers uh, of interfaces that you can adhere to and still stay safely uh, able to run it pretty much anywhere you you want or need to. Yeah. But but again, you've got uh, a lot of capability in a small device to run full Java SE or even right. Java E. So then yeah. you're really not restricted at yeah. all. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. All right, well let me let me pause right here for a quick sec and uh, thank our last sponsor this week, and that is the fine folks over at GoDaddy.com. Now GoDaddy's got a brand new deal. Did you know it's a new year, everybody? Uh, GoDaddy's got a two ninety five dot com for us. If you use the promo code two ninety five coder when you check out, you can get a dot com for two dollars and ninety five cent. GoDaddy is the world's number one domain name registrar, and they are kicking it up. It is go time over at GoDaddy. And I got to tell you, we've also got another special deal for the Coda Radio audience. Maybe you're getting a few things. Like, throw a few things in that in that basket. Maybe you're getting some hosting and a domain. Maybe you're going to get a few domains. If you use the promo code 30DEAL2, all one word, 30DEAL2, when you check out, you'll get anything new over at GoDaddy for 30% off. That's a pretty great deal. Now, I'm not... I'm not saying the 295.com isn't a good deal. If you just need to go in there and get a .com, by the way, additional year is $9.99, use the promo code 295CODER, and that's just such an amazing deal to get some real estate on the internet. But look, if you're getting a whole bunch of stuff, the best way you're going to save money is that 30% offer, 30 deal two when you check out, 30 deal two when you check out over at GoDaddy.com to get that. GoDaddy is a longtime sponsor of the Coder Radio program. And I've worked with them in my professional career as well. Well, not that this isn't professional, but you know what I mean, my contracting career. where I always knew when I would go into a client, if they weren't registered with GoDaddy, we would have problems. We, would, we were going to have issues. If they registered with GoDaddy, it was always a major relief, so much so that I would go in and do uh, pre-contract audits where we offered them a free inspection service, but really it was like, how compatible are they with our services? And there was literally a spot on my form if they had GoDaddy or not, because we knew the whole company knew that if they had GoDaddy, this is going to be a smooth transition. They're an awesome group-focused collaboration tools. They have all of these amazing permission-based folders that you can just move one domain into, and all of the permissions apply to that 
folder apply to everybody that goes in there. So if you if you have a client and you don't want to have to get all their login information, you set up this folder structure, you move their domain into that folder structure, and then when you're no longer their contractor anymore, they just simply take their domain out of that folder and you can't get access to it anymore. And ah, that made it so easy to handle this kind of stuff. So really, if you're going to get a .com, GoDaddy's the place to do it. 295 coder. If you're getting a whole bunch of stuff, 30 deal too. A huge thank you to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Sorry about the uh, interruption, uh, guys. I uh, I wanted to get make sure we gave a quick plug to our longtime sponsors there. And uh, now I didn't mean to interrupt, Mister Dominic. So uh, resume where you are. I know we have uh, we have a few questions about the future, but we don't have to get to that yet if you don't want. So I would ask uh, Mark. It, you know, people have been a little down on the job these days, looking at the new hotness, the Node.js, things like that. How do you feel about that? How do you respond to that? Well, I think there are a lot of good solutions uh, to a lot of problems out there. So I don't, I don't necessarily think there are a lot of bad solutions out there banging around uh, just looking for problems. There obviously are some, but, but you know, I, I guess I just keep coming back to there. There's kind of a, a tool du jour and a platform du jour, uh, and and it just keeps rotating out. But you typically, uh, at least for me as a developer, I'm looking for something, a platform that's that's well-established, that's well-supported, that has a great active community, that has a lot of libraries, a lot of code out there that you can uh, can access and borrow from and embell- or, uh, enhance and extend and, and use and build on and, and grow with. Um, and, and Java has all that. But uh, I also look for, uh, you know, where a company or a community is taking things. And there's a lot of exciting stuff going in in, in the Java ecosystem, not just the Java language. I mean, the whole JVM uh, environment uh, where you have different uh, different uh, languages that are running on it, Scala and Clojure and some other things that are are, are just um, uh, you know they have you know thriving communities. They have a lot of support out there for those. In addition to Java itself, so uh, to me, I, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with some of the other solutions. But I think I would want to look at what's out there as far as well-supported, that, that has a huge, growing, thriving community, uh, that has maybe some things that are already in place, as well as a future direction that it's going. And that's kind of where I, I put myself. So. so what do you think Java needs to do to stay competitive? And not that it's not. I'm not saying that. But like if you could have, if you could have a wish list of things you'd like to see done to just keep that competitive edge, what would those be? Well, I think they're doing it. Uh, you you have a lot of of community based uh, initiatives and community focused initiatives, and that was one thing I think that a lot of people were nervous about when uh, when Oracle got a hold of Java mm-hmm. is that they were afraid all that would go away mm-hmm. uh, because Sun was pretty open. Well, surprisingly to to some in the community, Oracle has has actually opened up a lot of things. You have a lot of of areas that have been open sourced. Uh, you have OpenJDK, which is is serving as the the front end for development, uh, the you know kind of the the front of the funnel, I guess you would say, uh, for development of of each JDK uh, release. You have OpenJFX, which is the open version of JavaFX. Uh, you have uh, again growing and thriving communities. You have initiatives that are taking place for uh, for iOS ports of JavaFX, huh. for Android ports. Huh. You have a uh, a huge amount of community involvement, and and in some cases, you have community driving entire efforts as well. So you, you've got a lot of things going on. Plus you have, you know, Oracle not, you know, sitting back and, and letting the community do it all either. You have Mark Reinhold and, and the whole architecture team and, and uh, you know, they're doing some really cool things. You have 
the whole Nashorn thing with the JavaScript, uh, you know, integration and, and um, uh, compiler, and 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 you have so many things that are going on internally, externally, uh, community involved. Uh, so I, I think I think they're doing a lot of those things. I don't really see holes. I'm sure there probably are. Uh, I'm sure that you know somebody can identify things that they say. Well, this is important to me, and I don't see it being addressed. But but the team is is really you know I say the team as far as a community. There are mailing lists and and uh, bug trackers and all of that's open to the public, so they can get involved. People can get involved, and and if they see a hole, help plug that. Excellent so point. I. Yeah, I, I think it's going really well. Um, yeah. And I, and I have a, I've yet to see a lot of people who who don't feel that way, even if they, you know, again, their pet project isn't necessarily getting the attention they, they might like. They're they're able to contribute and, and help advance that. So, I was going to shift gears, Mr. Dominic, unless you have a follow-up to that. No, let's shift away. Um, this is sort of uh, tangentially related, but uh, I look at a lot of the efforts that, Android aside, that Google is making to uh, to to deliver applications through the web through HTML5. I look at like iOS, where Java is kind of left out. There is are these concerns for you? Do you think that's something that is going to hurt Java, or do you feel like um, it's a going back to that whole? There's a lot of options out there, but I look at this and I think, gosh, these really these really fast evolving platforms are so locked down and so controlled that there's not really an opportunity for Java to have a role there, unless it's on the back end, I suppose. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I would just jump in here. Um, it's particularly in mobile, the client side is starting to matter less and less. So even if the front end, ah, yeah, it's so. There, I think there's you're conflating mobile as one one entity. Uh, a lot of apps are basically trivial front ends to complicated back ends. That's right? a really good point. And in the cases where you don't do that, you're probably just doing design UX stuff in the native language. So I would counter that, in fact, the only language looking to be diminished by mobile is probably going to be Objective-C, right? Which makes me cry every night. <laughs> because as as bad, yeah. what I would consider bad, HTML5 becomes, quote, good enough, Yeah, it doesn't make sense to put resources into the front end for huh. most um, line but, of business uh, but applications. But isn't that just the state of it now? I mean, don't you think mobile applications, a lot like early desktop applications, started very simple, but are, are, will eventually, you know, 10 years down the road, be, you know, we'll have applications of the caliber of Photoshop logic and things like so that you're, on mobile? You're, you're also conflating the consumer and the enterprise market for mobile, though. And we're just now seeing the market um, fracture into consumer and enterprise. Okay. Now, consumer is very sexy, and that's going to end up on The Verge and TechCrunch. Yeah. But enterprise is where, well, folks like me are going to make their money. Right, but don't you think, even if it's enterprise applications, they're going to be more sophisticated, more advanced on mobile? Right? No, they're not. Uh, that That's the fallacy. No. Okay. The front ends are going to get simpler and uglier, and everything is, uh, the trend is now happening on the server. We're going back to the mainframe. We're going back to the mainframe, <laughs> exactly. Well, and I guess for Mark, that's good news. <laughs> yeah, it's great news for the Java EE folks. Not so great news for the few, the proud, the objective well, C. Um, while we're talking about Java, uh, Mark, what are your thoughts on the future of Java? 
Uh, I, I think it's good. I, I mean, you see a lot of uh, continued development and a lot of uh, you know exciting things. I, 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 my latest thing that I'm really excited about is WebSockets. It's a full web standard, but it's something that's also in, uh, implemented in Java EE7. And uh, you know, people are are recognizing within, without Oracle, everywhere. Um, you know, certain standards are are going to eat the world, and uh, you're seeing Java adhering to those standards very rigorously. So, I, I think the future is great. Future is bright. I like that. It's positive. Well, uh, Mark, thank you very much for joining us this week. It was this is a, this um, a lot of this stuff was really good insight for for me to hear, and I hope for some of the audience to hear as well. Is yeah, there... well, I, I hope I don't get flamed too badly. No, uh, are you <laughs> kidding me? No, no, no. Of course. No. Thank you, you both for having me on here, and thanks to the listeners for uh, for putting up with me. Absolutely, <laughs> not a problem. Come back anytime. We can talk about robots. <laughs> <laughs> great. Okay. Good. Thanks. All right, Mark. Well, have a great rest of your day, and uh, maybe we'll chat soon. Okay. <laughs> okay, you too. Thanks. Uh-huh. Bye. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Uh, you know, I was just thinking, uh, Mr. Dominic, while we were talking about uh, our uh, the future, you did a blog post called 2014 Predictions over at DominicM.com. And I, it, I, did. I think we should link that in the show notes so people can read it. But uh, uh, not too surprising. You made a big call out to Docker. I did. I did. If you want to just take the remaining 10 minutes and talk about it, I'd be happy to do that. Oh, sure. Yeah. So let's do this. So you got to, do you want to do it by category? So we got Docker and then the next yeah, let's one. Let's just is, go right down the list. All right. right. So let's start with Docker. You say it's the darling of the development community right now and for a good reason. Now I'll tell right. you, I've gotten feedback on our Docker. People say it's, people think 2014 is not going to be a good year, but you disagree. I think it's going to be a good year for Docker. Um, I'm just going to summarize, but I also think there's going to be a bit of hype and with hype, there's going to be backlash. So my prediction for Docker is it's going to become like Rails is now, right? That they probably take two to three years like it did with Rails. Uh, 2014 is going to be a year of exceptional hype. And then we're going to get that back down to people using it in ways that it makes sense. Kind of like Node.js is going through right now, right? Yeah. It's that adolescence. The new hotness always has the, oh my God, I'm going to drop my current tool chain to use this. And then, wait, that was really stupid. Let's go back. Now, the issue I think that people, some of the backlash you're probably hearing is the beginning of that, well, this is the new sexy thing. And, you know, people, it's just always fun to be against the cool thing, right? It's always great to be the, the hipster. Uh, I think you nailed it, yeah, because we are yeah. starting to see pushback on that now. Right. That's just, boy, like clockwork. It, well, it, I mean, it, it happens. Yeah. Um, the next thing I list was Windows 8, and by that I mean all of Windows 8, Windows Phone, Windows RT, the whole, the okay. whole shebang. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll quote myself, Windows 8, Windows 8's RT offering is in a lot of trouble. Uh-oh. Um, yeah, I think they're screwed. Yeah, it's just it, been too long. It's it, yeah. They're fighting attrition, especially with this uh, Threshold project, which for people who don't follow Microsoft, they're basically, it sounds like they want to merge WinPhone, WinRT, and Windows 8. You know, or at I, least WinRT and WinPhone. I think part of the lesson here is not only was Microsoft too late to get consumers to buy their products in mass, but they also waited long enough that the developer community moved on. And so it's not so when we think of, you know, launch early to get the to capture the market, it's not actually just capturing consumers, but it's also so capturing the developers. Me, for me, the problem is that, um, you know, the big pitch for Windows 8 was it's one, one platform. UI. Yeah. Right. Well, not even UI, it's one platform for all your devices. Right. You got the Windows. And now Store. they're basically doing iOS OS 10. Right. They're going to have WinRT or whatever they call it is the mobile and windows eight is the desktop. Hmm. So they're doing what Apple did five years ago or four years ago. Not good. Um, Azure, along with Azure, I see good things for Azure. 
Um, there's that rumor of Project Midori, which I still think is like Windows something in the cloud. Um, maybe even a version of Unix. But all in all, Azure is going to do well. Uh, you know, as more enterprises move to the cloud, they're going to go to Azure if they're not Oracle or Java shops. Oh, you got an OS 10 prediction in here. I do, and I, I kind of went long on the OS 10. Uh, so basically, I think 2013 was a correction for OS 10, right? They were correcting the horrors that are stitch leather and coming back to being a desktop operating system. Yeah, and and I I think they you know uh, Mavericks showed a surprising resistance to uh, iOSification of the desktop. Right. So you know my thing is that all in all that the merging iOS and OS 10 didn't really work except for Gatekeeper, which is probably the biggest thing they did, right? And they've tweaked it enough that Gatekeeper has gone from being a nuisance to actually being a reasonable default setting that I use on my machine. That's interesting. There's other touches yeah. that they've taken. So what I, I feel like what they did in this in this sort of correction is, for example, the uh, AppNap and things like that yes. that are iOS-inspired. Um, and the other thing they've done is like uh, silly things, like uh, they now use the ambient light sensor like they do on iOS to detect if there's movement to make sh- to, before they sleep the screen. So it's part of the should we sleep the screen equation now is they're actually watching ambient light changes from the light sensor. And uh, I mean, that's intelligent. And that's they did that on their mobile. And they thought, hey, you know what? We could do that on the desktop. Those kinds of things without rehauling the entire UI are kind of brilliant. I think other people should take note. Only the thing is, is Apple's doing it so subtly that nobody really notices. Right, and if they continue the course, which I think they will in 2014, of subtle borrowing from mobile, but really enhancing OS X as a desktop operating system. They're going to get really competitive, especially as Windows blows it. As Windows blows it, and as the Linux, I would say community, but I really mean canonical, uh, fails to have a unified goal and a unified, really, a unified product, I I think they're going to continue to make gains, as they have over the last but they're essentially doing it too late i mean they they really yep. needed to have a product at this point in time to capture new market now they're now this year 2014 their 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 desktop is in maintenance mode right so this is actually my next one open yeah. to slash linux now i this is interesting i was going to only do linux but since we're focusing on desktop more right i mean for the server linux is already one and i don't think anybody can deny that right i mean linux is one almost hands down but the problem is on the desktop, when I think Linux, I still think Ubuntu. And it's weird because, you know, several years ago, you would have thought Ubuntu Fedora. Now it's Ubuntu and a bunch of very, very small, little players. Yep. In my mind, the Linux desktop is actually in a worse place than it's ever been in the last 10 years. For, for developers to target. Well, as a vi- to as a, even from a commercial, it just is a viable product to, to hopefully get some market share. Yeah. Uh, I don't see Canonical doing any kind of course reversal only because that would be such a big Mia Copa at this point that I don't know if the, you know, it's almost too big of a Mia Copa for them to do. Right. Right. Well, no, they're just going to press ahead. Yeah. Right. And unfortunately what I'm seeing kind of, you know, because working on some Linux stuff, kind of talking with the community on the sly, folks aren't going to another big vendor. Now they're going like, well, I'm going to roll my own arch based distro. Mm hmm. Which is kind of a dev's nightmare, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of little differences there. It's almost right. like Android. Oh, I kid. I kid. It's not. I even, kid. It's actually way worse. <laughs> uh, my other prediction is, as the desktops become more custom and you know canonical continues to falter, 
we're going to see a lot of web devs continue to drain over to the Mac side because so it's just not worth it. The positive side is uh, a lot of these other different distros like Fedora and Arch and um, OpenSUSE, um, their common cores are becoming more common. And so right. the differences between them over 2014 are going to become less and less. And the problem is there's still going to be big differences because the display servers are going to be getting changed out over 2014 or begin to. There's The Linux desktop, while congealing in some sense, is also still continuing to fragment in another sense. Right. So, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a tough spot. And I, and I, I mean, I guess there's – so – it's 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 funny. In the enterprise, twelve oh four is acceptable. It's 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 twelve oh four is a good product and it's gonna be supported for years and you would in an enterprise you would use the long term support version. Of course. And so you have you have four years before you need you even need to check back in with what Ubuntu's doing. And by then, the whole convergence new UI, Unity eight will be will be well and done theoretically. So if you look at it in that light, if see the problem is is there's two different Ubuntu's. There's the current Ubuntu, and then there's the enterprise Ubuntu. And yeah, they're I mean, the two LTS different pieces. Have never been better, right? Right, I mean, that's, exactly. That's true. Yeah, and in fact, the 1204 is at a very good is at a very is a very good right. point right now. And you could run that desktop for a while. And to be fair, I'm running uh, 13.4. L- actually, I'm running 13.10 now, but on my Dell desktop, it's fine. The the problem I'm more getting at is that. You know, it was a large effort for Canonical to do what they did with Unity and get it to the point where it didn't suck, right? Where yeah, it was and it still stable. needs work. I mean, the APIs are okay, but... Comp is, is a resource beast. Don't hate, but it right. is. I, people always say, no, it's not. It they is. very publicly said that that's not a priority right now. Right, yeah. So I'm not sure how that's going to play out. I mean, my prediction is badly. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know... You'll notice that I don't talk about Firefox OS. I don't talk about Jala. It's not because I don't like those things, but that market's pretty sewn. And if anybody was going to get in there, I kind of think it would be Windows or Firefox. Or BlackBerry. Yeah, right. I, I, I don't see Canonical really being able to pull that off. So, uh, you know, I talked about, I talked, I talked on last yesterday about uh, GNOME 3. <clears throat> and yeah, the I reason realized. I did is because I think. I think at the end of 2014, as Linux kind of congeals together with, uh, I mean, so I'm a, I like Arch right now a lot because it's very much what Linux is going to be uh, at the end of 2014, and Fedora is a lot like that too. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of consistencies between those two distributions now, um, and with GNOME, it's getting to be a very elegant desktop. Uh, so it, it feels, it, you know, it, it it feels much more modern than Mac OS X. Yes. When I say the Mac, it's the Mac is very functional, and there's nothing I can't accomplish when I'm using Mac OS X. But I I will tell you, it it does feel like a UI of a previous generation. A, you know, it, it it just starting to to me seem a little old. Whereas GNOME, GNOME is very modern, very elegant. And I want, I think you know, in a couple of releases. Maybe in 2015, GNOME and and a lot of these Linux distros, there's going to be a really tight integration there. It could be really nice, but that's a ways off. And and then, but however, that might you know, I mean, maybe 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 the LTS of Ubuntu like holds people until that point, and then when they go looking, you know, the other thing too is as Linux increases in popularity, we will come up with new tricks to run applications like. Docker could solve that problem, or you could look at what Valve's doing, where they create a Steam runtime, and it's not a, it's not like a, it's not a like Java. a, it's not yeah. like a Java machine. It's, it's just a, it's like a directory of libraries and things that everything can count on having, yeah. so everybody writes to that. And so on that's the an interesting way too. Yeah, I mean, on the software side, what's going to happen is what's always happened, right? Um, 
Linux users are going to end up having to accept kind of compromised UXs, depending on what they're running, right? You know, but the, every desktop is once we always start using web apps. Every, I mean, right. that's all these things are going to be compromised UXs. So the, the issue for me is without a vendor, you know, my thing has always been it would be good for the market if you could walk into a big box retailer, uh, have a MacBook, a, you know, Dell for Windows, and then a Dell for Linux next to each other, right? And I just don't see that happening now that Canonicals totally dropped the ball. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's going to be a great year for Macs. Yeah, I think it's going to be... I mean, at this point, it's kind of Apple's game to lose. Yeah. I mean, as Microsoft keeps changing their mind about their platforms... Um, and don't forget, we're doing this right before CES 2014, and the rumor ahead of time is a lot of vendors are going to be showing their products that, hey, by the way, we also boot Android. Yeah, it's going to be a great I, year for Android too. That well, it's really going to yeah. be it's going to be it's going to be Apple and Android just going at it. That's what this you know that's yeah. unfortunately and it's not that I don't think Canonical would have have been like right there would have had just as equal chances. I, it's not like they've missed out on some ginormous opportunity, but I do think there is an opportunity that was lost. Um, and because there's a lot of people at you know at, at the IT level that that are current on this stuff, doing research, XP supports ending. It could have been a boon. Um, but I think a lot of that stuff's going to go. And I think one thing working in um, Apple's favor on the desktop is where you say, you know, you, um, Aqua, which is, fun fact, the name of the OS ten desktop is stale. A lot of IT folks are going to read that as stable. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. I, I, and that's going to be that's going to be a big push in that direction. It's in some ways it, right now it represents a consistency that you know, Microsoft just threw out with Windows 8.1 that when people see right. that consistency, they'll see it as an appealing thing. And I think the problem for Microsoft is more existential is that they've changed their mind so many times in an 18-month period that even if they come out, if Threshold's amazing and the new hotness, it's going to be very hard to convince anybody who's not an avid Microsoft person to put any kind of large investment behind that. And, and so it begins. Uh, Mark just uh, linked us uh, in our uh, in our show notes chat here this Article that's coming out from CES, HP announces uh, a uh, all-in-one PC that runs Android. Yeah, and I mean, Chrome, honestly, this is, I mean, the game is Google and Apple at this point, right? Yeah, I don't, yeah. yeah. So this is CES. This is what CES is going to be a lot of these. Yeah. God, I don't know about running Android on desktops. That, well, we could probably save that for future discussion. Now, we could uh, save that. Is there any, now, was, there, was that the last prediction right there? Was that it? Is that where we, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, the whole, you guys can it. read I mean, the whole thing. Well, I'll link it in the show notes, too. It's, it's a good right the general introduction to the post I gave was I think 2014 is not going to be a mind-blowing year. It's going to be an iteration year and kind of setting the stage. Um, just because I see a lot of profit-taking in mobile right now. right? P- people are going to start copying things It's going to before we do any big leaps. Mm-hmm. I, I hope I'm wrong, but in all honesty, it wouldn't be bad for 2014 to be a transitional year. I think that's what we'll get. That's what we're going to get. All right, Mr. Dominic. Well, uh, look, here's the thing. Did you know that we do this show live? Did you know that? We do it live on a Monday, 9 a.m. noon Eastern. JBLive.tv, and we'd love to have you join us. Star in our chat room, and you get to help us title the show, and we vote on those after the episode. We can also always use your feedback. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com, pop that contact link, and choose Coda Radio from the dropdown. You can also hit up our subreddit, codaradio.reddit.com, or just email us, codaradio at jupiterbroadcasting.com. We got a fun episode. In fact, we're going to take calls next week, aren't we? Woo! So uh, join us next week in the Mumble Room, and we'll be taking your calls. We would love to see you and uh, chat with you. So it'll be a great episode. 
So join us for that, and you'll get the mumble info if you just join our chat room and do bang mumble. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week.